0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, April the 6th, 2022. It is currently 4.48 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, what we are about to do has controversy written all over it. And the only reason it has controversy written all over it is because many people who listen are going to completely miss the point of what I'm trying to do here. I have a clear point I want to make. I have a clear challenge. I have a a clear question but everyone's going to ignore the question, ignore the point, ignore the challenge. They're going to ignore that because they're going to hear a name. And when they hear that name, everything after I say the name is going to be forgotten. They're going to like, he talked about so-and-so. How dare he mention that name? He has no right to mention that name. And it's, it's like you're missing the point. To me, there's a bigger question here. There's a bigger issue at stake so before we mention the name let me try to get to this point let me try to lay this foundation because it's so very important within Christianity within Christianity it, this can happen frequently we have a theological or doctrinal belief here's the theology here is the doctrine right and we we know the doctrine in the we know the doctrine and we know the theology. I'm going to see this from a theoretical perspective, right? Here, here's the doctrine. Here's the theology. And here, and we know it theoretically. We know the theory of it. We know the idea of it. And it's great to talk about, you know, maybe sitting in church or in a small group or in a Sunday school classroom or, or in a seminary classroom or a Bible college or a Bible institute or even on a Christian podcast. And we can talk about this theology and we can talk about this, this concept or this doctrine, but it's all theoretical. Sometimes when we take this idea and we transfer it over into the world of the practical, not the world of the theoretical, things can get messy and things can sometimes be difficult because sometimes I think our practice, our, the practical application of our theoretical theology can get really sloppy and messy. And sometimes I think what we do is that what we do in practice actually contradicts What we say in theory, I I, I raised this question yesterday, right? And and, and it it probably ticked a lot of people off, but I think it's an important question. When we discuss gun ownership, right? Having a gun, 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 this idea of defending the Second Amendment, the, the idea of defending gun rights, defending the National Rifle Association, does that really, in practice... That's what, that's what we do in practice, right? many, In fact, many conservative Christians are the ones who are the most pro-gun, 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 pro-gun. Does being pro-gun in practice seem to contradict what we say theoretically about people? Because typically in a good biblical conservative church, what do we say about people? That they are all totally depraved, that they are sinners, that their heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all. All things that they're dead in their trespasses and sins. So, do you think the best course of action is to arm as many dead sinners as possible? Right? In other words, it's at least a question that should be asked, right? Are we contradicting in practice what we say in theory? Sometimes our theology in theory it becomes messy and trying to put it into practice. Let me give you another example because this one is very relevant to what we're about to talk about. What is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of man? Well, a good conservative biblical church should say something like this. The purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So the most important thing in life is what glorifies God? We would say something like this. The most important concept in life is to glorify God. It's not It's not your uh, personal comfort. It's not your personal happiness. We could possibly even go on to say that it's not even your own personal security. What it is is to glorify God. Now, again, in theory, that sounds good and that preaches good. And I will argue that, obviously, the purpose of life is to glorify God. That's what we are created to do, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But when we take that and we bring it over into practice, that can raise some serious questions depending on certain circumstances. And there's a circumstance where this is kind of being, this this theory, well, not theory, this theology it's trying to be applied into a practical situation, and it clearly appears, I apologize there, uh, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, so I was trying to catch my breath to stop. Maybe I should just slow down and actually breathe and not try to breathe while I'm talking, right? So I'm talking, going, <gasps> okay, yeah, okay, gasping for air. All right, but yes, right, I apologize for that. Okay, now I'm going to go back. and want to edit that out, but there's no editing. I'm live on the air. Okay, but this is very important. I really am trying to drive this point home and I'm trying to emphasize it. So maybe this is good. Maybe by doing that little gasp, this gives me a second to really, once again, emphasize, listen to me here, because in a minute I'm going to mention a name and everything I'm saying here is going, people are just going to like immediately tune out. Maybe, maybe messing up here will help you remember what I'm trying to get across. In theory, we say, and I say in theory, theoretically, we understand this idea that we are to live for God's glory, and that's that's what's more important. God's glory is more important than my, than my happiness, my comfort, anything, even possibly my safety. But when we take it from the church, from the church pew to the Sunday school room, when we take it from that setting, and now we say, okay, here's this situation in life. Now, okay, well, man, that's a bad situation, but remember, What matters is God's glory. What matters is God's glory. That's where this gets really, really ugly. All right? Now, so please remember, we have theology. It's when we put it into practice. So now I'm going to ask the question in a very specific, specific way. Are you ready? Here we go. If it is true that your purpose in life is to glorify God, That's your purpose, and that purpose should outweigh anything else, your comfort, your security, your happiness, it should should outweigh everything. Then, would it be correct to take that theology and apply it in a situation where a woman is being abused, her children are being sexually abused, and you say, hey, you, your purpose in life is to glorify God. You glorify God in that you don't want to take this to the world and take it to the secular world and the secular authorities because you would not be glorifying God. You would be hurting the name of God because they would see this is happening in a Christian family. So you go back and submit to God and trust that God will work this out and that because you want to glorify God. Would that be a correct application of that theology? Now, many would say, no, 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 no. That's an incorrect uh, application of that theology. This is an important question because it's being debated right now. A lot of people are debating this issue, and it's kind of frightening that this is so, <laughs> that it is being debated. But again, to me, the issue at hand is, once again, we have a theology. What does it look like in practice? Because see, you have the the, you can have 50 people who agree with the theology and then you turn around and put it into practice and now those 50 people who agreed in the theology don't, don't agree in the practical application of it. See, when it's theoretical, it's easy for everyone to say amen. When it's put into practice, everybody's like, Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. And I think this, this is playing out. So here's the situation. If you've been paying any attention, there has been a growing story, Continue seeming, it seems to, new developments seem to be happening every week or so. It just, it just seems to keep going and going and going. Every time you think it's over, there seems to be a new layer to the story about a situation that happened at Grace Community Church, which of course is pastored by John MacArthur. You had a man by the name of David Gray who worked Grace Community Church, taught music. I can't remember. There's a number of things he did. Right, He had a wife, Eileen Gray, and they had children. Eileen Gray reports that she is being physically abused as she's suffering abuse in her marriage. Before it's all said and done, she is excommunicated by Grace Community Church. She's the one excommunicated. She's been physically abused. It is then discovered after all of this happens that her children were being sexually molested by their father, David Gray. David Gray goes to prison. He goes to prison. Eileen Gray remains excommunicated. David Gray, it appears, is almost treated as a prison missionary, almost like that the church believes he's innocent even though he's found guilty. The wife remains to this very day, 2022, still excommunicated. They never lift the excommunication. They don't do anything because in their mind, well, David Gray was, was either was innocent and— well, the church obviously never produced enough evidence to, to not have him go to prison or to get him out of prison, and that Eileen was somehow wrong in all of this. And so she, she I guess, still deserves to be excommunicated from the church. Now, everyone has their opinion on the story. Everyone has their opinion. Many are attacking the one of the reporters who have been reporting this, Julie Royce. They're going after her, going after her. Look, whatever you think about her, even if you believe that there's 900 things wrong in her life, the issue is what... What did MacArthur's church do to Eileen Gray? And was it right or was it wrong? And some people are defending it with a a kind of an argument that goes something like this David Gray may have messed up, David Gray may have been sinful, but Eileen Gray should have never gone to get a separation, never should have gotten divorced never should have taken it to the secular authorities because that does not glorify God. She should have been more willing to glorify God by submitting to that abuse, no matter how bad it was, because God's glory is more important than her comfort or her safety. that That's how some people are trying to make the argument. Well, <laughs> here's where it gets crazy. So everyone seems to have an opinion. Well, on April the 5th, 2022, at 10 a.m., the Roy's Report publishes a story with this headline. Head of Counseling at John MacArthur School, wife should endure abuse like missionary endures persecution. So according to the head of counseling, at John MacArthur School, which would be Master Seminary, the head of that department seemingly has taught that the wife should endure abuse like a missionary endures persecution. I am not claiming that he's making, that he taught this with any, with having anything to do with the Eileen David Gray case. I'm, I'm not going to make any association there. I'm just saying that I want to focus on, I want to forget MacArthur. I don't even care that this is the head of counseling at John MacArthur School. I don't even want to get into all of that right now. I just, like, here it is. He, there's a reason he's going to say, hey, you should endure this, this suffering. It's just like a missionary enduring persecution. Because the concept, I think, is going to be that what's most important in your life is glorifying God. And sometimes that means enduring suffering. So if you're being abused, endure it. Now, this is kind of interesting. Because when 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 do you have to endure and injustice when, when is it right when is it right to endure the injustice and suffer, and when is it right to fight it and take a stand against it, even bringing in the courts and civil authorities? so when is it right that okay, here I'm suffering, you know what I, it's not about my personal security, it's not about my personal happiness. I'm going to endure it. and then when is it like, nope, you cross the line, let's go to court. and the reason I raise this question is Grace Community Church. When they were suffering the COVID-19 restrictions, the COVID-19 mandates, they went to court. They didn't just endure the persecution. They didn't just endure the suffering. They took it to the civil courts. They took it to the civil authority to fight it and to sue. Well, wait a minute. So, when is it right for the church to go to the civil authority? And when is it wrong for a, an abused woman to go to civil authority? You see, you see once again, we have the theory. Glorify God. Right? Now let's put it into practice and we'll get different applications every single time. And this is where it gets sloppy. That's what I want to focus on. But I want us to consider what happens. So I'm going to read a little bit of the story. Here's a little bit of the story. A Christian wife, this is how the the article begins. A Christian wife should endure abuse by an unbelieving husband the same way missionaries endorse persecution, according to John Street, chair of the graduate program of biblical counseling at the Master's University and Seminary and is an elder at John MacArthur's Grace Community Church. Now, everyone wants to focus on the name John Street or Master Seminary or Grace Community Church. Everyone wants to focus on that. What I am concerned, what I'm focusing on is, again, this issue. Sometimes we have our theology, and it's one thing to have the theology, but putting it into practice can become extremely, extremely messy. And that's that's what I want you to think about. So I just want you to think again about the question— when it, if, it, if we hold to the fact that our purpose in life is to glorify God, what should a woman do who's being abused? Now, they focus on an unbelieving husband. Now, what if you're suffering abuse from a believing husband? What is the right thing to do there? How should you handle that? Well, take it to the church. Well, what if the church tells you to go back to the husband? Do you then go to the civil authority? What if the church tells you to go back to your husband and then it's found out later that your husband's been sexually abusing your children? Maybe you should listen to the church. Like, again, we have the theology, now we have the practice. Now, Street makes this claim in a series of lectures on advanced biblical counseling posted online in 2012 by the uh, the Master's uh, Seminary, right? So... Uh, This was in a series of lectures in 2012. Now, they go on and say a lot more. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to play some of these clips. Now, warning number one, they are clips. I am not a fan of that. I'm going to try to track down the entire lectures. If we get the entire lectures, then we can review them and have fuller context because I hate reviewing clips but we will review these clips, all right? And here's what I want you to understand. We are reviewing these clips, not, I want you to hear what I'm about to say, not so that we can draw some conclusion about Grace Community Church, about Master Seminary, about MacArthur. I'm not focused on that. I want to deal with this issue. Okay, your purpose in life is to glorify God. You're being abused by your husband, So, what should you do in order to glorify God? I wanted to look at it again. That the issue to me is theology, theoretical theology, now being put into practice in a practical way. When theoretical theology becomes practical theology, are we consistent in the and the practice in the application, or do we sometimes contradict the theology? And sometimes, if we carry that the practical. The, the, the practical application out in a very literal way, what do we end up with? I want you to see the the, the the struggle here of trying to do just that. That's what I want us to consider. Everyone else right now is talking about this. Okay, this means this about MacArthur. This means this about Grace Community Church. You can, you can draw your own conclusions. You can go look at all the information about the story about Grace Community Church and MacArthur Roy's report. And, and most people are just attacking her. Again, my thing is attack. You can attack Julie Roy's all day. The issue is, is everything being reported true? And if you know it's not being, if it's not true and accurate, then focus on the inaccuracy, not just attacking the messenger, which is what, which is just a logical fallacy to attack the messenger. Focus on the on the on the reports, and then you draw your own conclusions. I'm not here to get into that. Let me state it again. I'm not here to get into that. I want to hear what was said in these courses on biblical counseling. And because in biblical counseling, this is what you're trying to do. You're trying to take biblical theology and now apply it to, well, counseling situations, real life situations. Are you going to be consistent with that theology? Let's see what happens here. So we're going to go to the first clip that they have here. I'm not, going to, I'm not even going to tell you what supposedly is said in it. We're just going to listen to it and you draw your own conclusions. All right. Here. We go.
1: Now, we do agree with Miner Meyer that the, that the Bible teaches mutual love and respect for one another in the husband wife relationship. But we don't agree that the primary goal of the counselee or the counselor working with an abuse situation is to make personal escape and protection the essential object of their counsel. Virtually at this point, there's no difference between integrationist counselor and the secular counselor. That went by fast.
0: <laughs> that went by fast. We have to hear that again. Oh, boy. All right. So what they want, to, what they want us to understand here is that the, the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal for a counselor is not simply to protect them. The ultimate goal for someone being abused is not to protect them. That, that just makes us no different than a secular counsel. The counselor. So they're saying that, that the ultimate goal here is not that. All right, let's, let's go back and listen to this again. Let's go listen to this again. Oh, wow, this, this raises so many questions. All right, here we go.
1: Now, we do agree with Miner that Meyer that the Bible teaches mutual love and respect for one another in the husband-wife relationship. But we don't agree that the primary goal of the counselee or the counselor working with an abuse situation is To make personal escape and protection the essential object of their counsel. Virtually at this point, there's no difference between integrationist counselor and the secular counselor. Both have the same goal, that is ultimately saving the body. Let me suggest to you. That if saving the body is the ultimate goal in counseling. To be consistent we would have to make that the ultimate goal of Christians across the board. So that would mean a lot of our missionaries who are in locations around the world where they are under bodily threat, we're going to have to pull them home and put them in a protective situation because husbands, wives, children are under bodily threat. What does that say about Christians in countries like China? where the church is openly abused and physically harmed. Maybe we should do everything we can to pull and smuggle those people out of China. Or in countries, Islamic countries, where Christianity is outlawed, and yet there are Christians there undergoing persecution all the time, some of them dying. If saving the body is the ultimate goal, then those people shouldn't be there. We should take no risks at all. If that's the ultimate goal. What is the goal? Well, I think from a biblical perspective, we can say that the goal in biblical counseling is to be God's kind of person even in the midst of your trial. Okay. So, the ultimate goal is to be
0: God's kind of person even in the midst of a trial. Now, here, here's trying to take the theory, the theoretical concept. Okay, what what's the ultimate goal of counseling? Well, the ultimate goal of counseling, I guess you could say, is to try to help someone become the person of God that they should be. All right, you can say that's the ultimate goal. Now, if that's the ultimate goal, and let's say that that... That is trying to take biblical the, basically you're going with the idea that your purpose in life is to glorify God so that's what it's all about to become to, to, to become a person a, a, a person of God is to live a life trying to glorify God okay let's say that that is the ultimate goal now there's the ultimate goal there's the, the there's the theoretical theology right there it is sitting in a classroom talking biblical counseling everybody says amen to it now now we go to a situation here's a woman being abused. And now what they're saying is the way you apply it is your ultimate goal is not that person's protection. That, that's not your ultimate goal there. Your ultimate goal is to allow, try to help that person become a person of God within that suffering. And I think that that is just, no, your first goal should be to protect The woman get and the children, remove them from harm, remove them from harm, protect them, put a hedge around them so that they cannot be harmed wherever, placing them somewhere, anywhere the church has to do to keep them away from the abuser. Now, yes, you want reconciliation. You want healing. Uh yeah. Yeah, yeah, try being a person of God while I'm punching you in the head. Exactly. Yeah, it's easy for you to say that. Hey, you try being a person of God while I'm sitting there kicking you, while I'm punching you. Like it, it, it's just crazy. But, but the point is, is like, why, why can't, why would the woman have to stay there and get punched in the head using, as someone said in chat, using that, that language? Why, why someone, why is it that the way, the only way that person can be a person of God is to sit there and take the abuse? Now, it's, it's trying to draw this correlation between someone on the mission field and someone in, in marriage. And, well, I, I don't know. If, we can get to a whole discussion. But, I look, here's the thing. If a woman's being abused, she needs to be removed from that situation. She needs to be given every opportunity to get out of it. And the authorities must be called. You have to report the abuse. Now, I understand the biblical concept of glorifying God. I understand that. But why can't the woman glorify God while she's being protected? Why can't, well, why, why can't we say that one way God can be glorified in this situation is that the church steps in and protects the weak, protects the helpless? Isn't that kind of a biblical mandate to protect those in need? Like, like you're, you seem to be making it sound like the only way someone can become a person of God in an abusive situation is to remain being abused. Now, the only problem here, let me make it very clear, is that's a minute and 57 seconds. So that's why I am not passing any judgment on Grace Community Church based off that clip. Because I don't know what is said immediately after that or what was said before that. But I will say this brings up the issue of what a lot of people seeming to be applying, not only about this story, but talking about physical, domestic, and sexual abuse. Is there somehow this idea, no, you glorify God in it. You don't go run to the secular authorities. You glorify God. And that is a frightening, frightening place that we have gotten as a church In the United States of America, I don't know how people think around the world. This is a horrible situation where you're focused. uh, Hey, you know what What's most important? Glorifying God, not the fact that you're being abused. I would say the way we glorify God is to step in, stop the abuse, protect the ones being abused, and hold the the abuser accountable. Is that not also a way to glorify God? Why is God only glorified by you staying in the abuse? That just seems like a, a complete, there's all kinds of logical fallacies going on here. All right, so, so there's clip number one. Now, I'm going to have to load this. Give me one second here. Um, that's clip, that's clip uh, number one. Let's go to clip number two. Let's go to clip number two. Here we go.
1: Now, the big question comes at the end of this. Is, is it wrong for a wife to separate from her husband? Or, for that matter, a husband to separate from an unbelieving wife. Yes, if her goal and purpose is to just simply get out of the trouble. I think it's wrong.
0: Now, they keep saying an unbelieving husband... All right. So I I would like to hear the context. How does this apply to a believing husband? Right. Because a believing husband can do horrible things just like a believing wife can do horrible things. If you just listen to our previous live uh, broadcast talking about Abram and Sarai and what they did to Hagar. All right. So believers can do horrible things as well. But according to him, it's wrong for a wife to separate from her husband or for that matter, a husband to separate from an unbelieving wife if the goal is simply to get out of the trouble. So you're saying it's wrong to separate. It's wrong to separate if you're being beaten and abused simply because you don't want to experience the abuse. Now, if you're just saying it's wrong to separate because you're just tired of the trouble within the marriage, okay, maybe we could talk, maybe. But even then, sometimes if separation can get everyone out of the, of the in a sense, the tinderbox, put the fire out, maybe separation can be the first step to possibly restoration. So I don't know, just saying, no, you stay there. You just stay there and deal with it. You just stay there and deal with it. You just stay there and it builds and it builds and it builds. And then boom, something horrible happens. And the church is the one who said, stay. I See, I'm not, I'm not a fan of this idea. Look, put it this way. Whenever you're dealing with any situation involving marriage or children, abuse, anything like this, you can't have a <laughs> one size fits all approach. Every situation is unique. Every situation is differ- different, but there should be some principles. You want to ensure no one is being physically abused. No one is being sexually abused. That should be like not, cannot happen. And if it does, you have to report it to the authorities. Let's back this up. Here we go.
1: Now, the big question comes at the end of this is, is it wrong for a wife to separate from her husband? Or for that matter, a husband to separate from an unbelieving wife? Yes, if her goal and purpose is to just simply get out of the trouble. I think it's wrong. Um, Her goal must be first to please God. She needs to be with him or he needs to be with her in order to win their spouse over to righteousness. Sometimes it means hardship. Sometimes it means abuse. This is always the risk.
0: Okay, so so you need to be there so that you can win your spouse over to righteousness. You need, and that sometimes means abuse. So sometimes you're getting beat. You stay there because you need to win them over to righteousness. You need to win them over to God. You you need to be there for evangelism. What are you talking about? They're being beaten. You know what they need to focus on right there? Their protection. They need to win them over to right. You know, here's a way to win them over to righteousness. Hey, I'm separating from you because you are doing wrong. What you're doing is illegal. Yeah, yeah. good good question, Twyla just asked. So God is pleased in people being abused. So it's almost like, hey, you got to please God. Well, so ple- God is pleased with you. And so "Well, you're getting beat, I don't know how many times you're getting beat, but you're getting beat, but I'm here to win you over to righteousness. I I don't know if you're winning, you know, what, Hey, Hey, I'm going to win you over to righteousness, showing you that you can beat me all day long and I'm okay with it. I, I, I mean, come on. I, this, this is some scary stuff. But again, let me make it very clear. These are small clips. These are small clips. So do not make an immediate judgment about MacArthur Grace Community Church. Don't. But these are raising the issues that a lot of people are talking about on social media. I saw a pastor had posted something basically saying, you know, the woman needs to be worried about glorifying God, not her personal safety. And, and it's like, what, like, is this now, like, are we uncovering that this is a normal theological understanding? Again, we have the theology. What is your purpose in life? Glorify God. How, what does it look like in practical situations? And every pastor has, I guarantee you, messed up sometimes in trying to apply the theology in practical situations. Right, well, let's continue.
1: Nobody wants to see that at all. But the answer is also no. If she is convinced, uh, from a prudent standpoint, as we saw in Proverbs chapter twenty-two and verse three, and Proverbs twenty-seven twelve. That her husband is out to kill her. There's no any any there's no longer any desire for him to live as a husband with her. He basically has abandoned all of his husband's provision, protection um, that a husband is supposed to be for a wife. We would say this a dead testimony is no testimony at all. So so take the
0: abuse and but if he's out to kill you. He's out to kill you. He's out to kill you. Uh, so I I wonder, I mean, he's 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 teaching counseling. I wonder how many I wonder how it just I'm 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 I'm, I'm almost, I'm just, I'm almost speechless here. So I wonder how does it typically work in, in, in women being abused? Does the husband like, Hey, I just want you to know I'm out to kill you. Okay. It may not be today. It may be tomorrow. Or is it a situation where there's abuse, there's abuse, there's abuse, there's abuse. And then one time he goes too far and ends up killing his wife. Like, Hey, you can't separate until he basically, until, you know, he's out to kill you or he's abandoned all of this stuff. Uh, and if he's abusing, how is that protecting? Good point. The minute, the minute abuse happens, has he not abandoned his responsibility as a husband to protect? Yeah, exactly. It, it, like immediate this, this is some crazy, this is some crazy stuff, ladies and gentlemen. I, I don't even know what to say. Um, but I again I I don't I don't want to make this. Please do not take this and pass any judgment or draw any conclusion about the whole MacArthur situation. This situation is getting, it's it's getting worse and worse and worse. And and I just feel that there's more coming, but I'm not here to talk about that. I'm talking about what I want you to see is here's what, we have these still, we have these just, these theologies. And we just immediately just come in almost like with a hammer and like, boom, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. Someone just says, yeah, how are you supposed to know that? Usually abusers are not open and honest about their abuse. Usually abuse happens, then the abuser's like, I'm so sorry. I just lost my temper. I'll never do that again. And then boom, it happens and it happens. You you don't know when the killing is going to occur. It, it It just seems, look, if there's abuse, there's got to be separation and protection. See, it doesn't even matter what you believe about divorce. You may believe divorce is allowed for anything. Okay. Or you may believe divorce is never allowed. Separation should be allowed for protection. And not only that, sometimes separation should be allowed simply to try to save the marriage. And nobody should ever condemn separation. Now, oh, this is crazy. Okay. I, that, okay, so let's let's go to another clip. Let's go to another one. I've got a bunch of them here. Let's go to another one. Uh, this uh, Here's another one. Here we go.
1: Um, the question really comes um, the laws uh, of the land having to do uh, in, especially here in America the laws in most states are pretty restrictive and in talking about counselors as defining them as being responsible to report any kind of child abuse that's going on the question is is that true of abuse that occurs with a spouse All right? it is not um, it does not have to be reported, to my knowledge. Now, I'm not familiar uh, as much with laws in other countries, but in this particular case, um, it's my knowledge, unless, of course, you are aware that there is some imminent danger to someone and, um, and you just generally have a civic responsibility to report that um, so that uh, it doesn't result in somebody's death. Um, uh, and more often than not, as a pastoral counselor, uh, you do run somewhat of a risk in reporting some things to civil authorities because basically secular people with secular minds are going to take over and they're not going to handle things in a biblical way. But we also have to remember Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 that talks about the fact (laughs) that God gave those secular authorities for a purpose so that there's not um, uh, general chaos in society. So we still have to respect them, obey all of the laws of the land, um, as long as it doesn't contradict directly a law, uh, 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 a command of Scripture. Um, So, um, and then beyond that, it's up to our conscience on what needs to be reported and what doesn't need to be reported.
0: It's it's up to your conscience. Don't even get me started on my teaching on conscience. I'm so sick of hearing that. A woman's being abused. It's not up to your conscience. It's up to the fact the woman's being abused. Okay, now I just get upset. Now I just get mad. What what I I got to go uh okay uh you sit there in the hospital. I'll come check on you. I got to go check my conscience here. Got to go check my conscience. Got to go check my conscience and see if what my conscience here needs to do. The, the, Oh man. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, how is abuse, especially of a child, not imminent danger? Exactly. I mean, this is just, it, it almost like trying to find every way, you know, and, and, and you don't want to just ne- you know necessarily just turn it over to the civil authorities because they're not going to handle it in a biblical way. Abuse is happening. Abuse is happening. The minute abuse is introduced into the situation, there needs to be protection. There needs to be separation with the hope of restoration. Yes. Reconciliation. Yes. That is the hope. And all of it. Yes. Glorify God, but you can't say to glorify God and to be people pleasing to God means, Hey, you just, you just, you just deal with it. You just deal with it this is crazy. But again, these are clips. I'm not, I'm just trying to hear, I'm just trying to take the concept here and deal with the concept, not trying to make a judgment on what this man actually says. The statements themselves, I'm just using them as illustrations of a concept that seemingly is showing up in some churches and may explain why some churches have handled abuse cases so horribly. All right, let's go to the last one. We have uh, one more here. I think we have. See, which one was that? Let me let me look here really quick. That was clip two. Hang on. All right. Give me one second. All right. Yeah, we have one more here. Here we go. Got to go back to. Let's listen to this. Here we go.
1: In fact, one uh, literature says on this, a, a Christian psychologist writes, don't make excuses for staying in a destructive relationship. Uh, i can 't afford to leave i 'll never make it on my own. I have no place to go. a woman 's shelter will take care of your short-term needs and the needs of your children and will put you in touch with services that will enable you to get on your feet and rebuild your life away from the harmful influence of an abusive mate. Now, there are problems with this approach. Let me suggest some of them. These abusive shelters really take control of those women 's lives. In an aggressive way, Um, many of them that I am familiar with show graphic films to the the women and the children that come to those shelters of severe abuse, literally scaring them to death. And what they end up effectively doing is elevating the fear of man almost to a panic level. And of course, it's designed with that in mind. I mean, it's designed so that they will not, they're, they're heavily invested in not seeing that marriage work. They're heavily invested in that.
0: Wow, so so this is now basically training. Pe- these, this is training people for counseling. Hey, don't trust those shelters. Those shelters that are bi- built there to protect women from being abused—you can't trust them. They'll show them graphic films. They will elevate the fear of man. Keep keep them away from that. Oh, so so what would be best? Put them in a shelter that I don't know. I guess they have an incentive to, to, to dissolve the marriage. So, 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 so here's the thing. You don't want them to go to the, the, the shelter to protect women. Why don't your church build a shelter to protect women? Like, like this is calling into, don't trust them. See, this is the whole idea. You can't trust anyone in the secular world because everyone in the secular world cannot be trusted. They're all the ungodly kind. We've got it all figured out. let's continue.
1: Now, often when the location of a wife or family are kept from a husband, it creates even more anger in the husband. It leads itself to sinful manipulation and often precludes any kind of restoration. Furthermore, these shelters will not keep a woman indefinitely. They can't. So now they're forced to teach her to get a job, which involves leaving the children at daycare center in order to support herself. Also, most of the counsel given in those shelters are extremely feminist and very anti-marriage or at least have a very low view of the sanctity of marriage. One woman who runs a shelter in an area where I used to pastor at a recent abuse seminar uh, in that area, um, when she talked about this, you could see coming through her a seething hatred for men um, under the surface. And she spoke to the men who were a part of the audience that day in a very condescending way.
0: <gasps> she spoke. She spoke of the men in a very condescending way. <gasps> she, she could possibly be a feminist. She doesn't care about the sanctity of marriage. And the man beating his wife does. <laughs> you, you care about the sanctity of marriage. See, here's the thing. Here's the th- again. Here's the theology. Sanctity of marriage. There's the theology. Now, let's take this into practice. Okay, now we're going to take the sanctity of marriage. Now we're going to transfer it from theoretical to practical. Hey, you just you just deal with the abuse. You don't no no, don't go run anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Don't hide anywhere. Don't keep your location from your abusive husband. You just deal with it. You just deal with it. Now, if he, if you think he's about to kill you, then I guess you can you can leave for a few minutes, but you know, we may advise you to go back, you know, soon after. This is happening in the body of Christ these comments again context is needed let me state it again context is needed so therefore i'm not going to make any claims about master seminary this course grace community or that or how this applies to the david eileen uh, 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 Gray. Uh, make sure I get the names right. Uh, David Gray and Eileen Gray. Um, I'm not going to in any way, shape or form have connect this in any way, shape or form, because that would not be right because I don't have any context there. These are very short clips. The clips are disturbing. Yes, but they're clips. Maybe context would make them less disturbing. Maybe context would make them even more disturbing. So therefore I can't make a judgment there. What I can say is this is a perfect example. Where we have a theology, sanctity of marriage. Glorify God above all things, above everything else, above anything else. And then we have counseling to people in a, in a marriage where there is abuse taking place. Now, I think I can say you, we can glorify God by, separate, by getting you away from him and protecting you. God is glorified when we protect the weak, we protect the abused, we protect the needy. I think God is glorified in that and I and you need to still focus on being a person of God, yes, that woman still needs to focus on God and growing in God, but we, she should be protected. the husband needs to be held accountable for what he has done and he needs to get the help that he's the man shouldn't just not be abandoned he shouldn't just say well, like well, you're an abuser, just leave you alone no that person needs counsel and help and to get whatever whatever is causing the abuse to occur fixed. And then hopefully the the marriage can be restored in a way that is safe and conducive for everyone's betterment. Not by just throwing them back in the situation. The woman should be, if a church doesn't like the, the options in the city, then the church needs to do everything they can to help the woman financially, help her whatever she needs. Whatever she needs, they should be able to do it again. I mean, Grace Community Church, we won't talk about how much money they bring in each year, okay? They bring in plenty, all right? So unless they have hundreds and hundreds of women being abused, they should be able to take care of a woman completely. They should probably even be able to get her an apartment, pay for her rent probably for a year and probably still have money left over. They could take care of them, protect them, This is, this seems to be the, the emphasis here seems to be on protecting the man and not the woman. All in the name of the sanctity of marriage and glorifying God. So, what do I want to do here? One, I just want to bring to your attention. You can go read the entire article, the Roy's report. You can draw your own conclusion how this fits in with the broader discussion right now going on about Grace Community Church. I'm not here to give any, any discussion about this right now. Because again, I would have to hear all of the, I would have to go through each one of these lectures and we would have to review every minute of these lectures to give it a fair hearing. Because if we don't do that, then we could be completely wrong in what he, the man is trying to say. Now, again, it would be, if it was a substitute teacher or some guest speaker, but this is the head of biblical counseling, so you, you would hope that he's just not misspeaking. But you know what? Anyone can misspeak. Hopefully, and maybe, I think this was 2012, maybe, hopefully, they, he's changed his mind completely. I don't even know if he's still the head of biblical counseling. Whoever, whoever, the, maybe they've changed their entire curriculum. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt to some level here, okay? But for all of us, here's the challenge. What do you believe philologically? What do you believe doctrinally? What do you believe that when you try to put it into practice, you are inconsistent with it or you're trying to apply it in an incorrect way? It's great that they care about God's glory. We should all care about God's glory. It's great that they care about the sanctity of marriage. We should all care about the sanctity of marriage. But what what is the what are we doing in practice? Put it this way. If, if this is very important sometimes we have one one doctrine one piece of theology and we try to apply it to a situation without considering the rest of scripture doesn't the rest of scripture talk about protecting and caring and loving i mean aren't there like a lot of other scriptures that have to be applied to this situation there's a lot of scriptures here and i don't i don't understand how this would make the woman less of a of a witness or less of a of, of quote-unquote being a missionary by getting her into a safe place with hopes of trying to reconcile and restore and, and save the marriage. I, I don't think that that makes her any less godly in any way she form. I and mean, it's just horrible to even say that. Yeah, there you go. I I really don't know what else to say today. I just have to get ready now for church tonight. So, um Yeah there you go. There you go. All right. I'm just going to stop. You, you, there, the clips are going all over the place. So you, now you've heard them. Just when you see, hear the clips, please, I beg of you, don't make any judge. Don't use the clips to make any judgment against Masters, Grace, or MacArthur, at Grace Community at this time until you've heard all of the lecture. Okay, if you find all of the lectures and listen to all of the lecture, then you can make some kind of a conclusion. And not even then, you'd have to ask: Are these lectures still considered a part of the official the, the official position of biblical counseling of Master Seminary? Like you would, we would have to get that kind of information. So, because we want to be fair, but I, I just the clips made me think of this whole other dilemma here that we that I tried to talk about yesterday. I just, there's so many issues where we believe this the- theologically and look at what we do practically, and you can just immediately realize, n- nope, there's, an inc- there's, there's a disconnect here. And I think there's a, a clear disconnect here. You can tell me what you think. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on the air so ma- sometime after 7 p.m. tonight. Thanks for listening. God bless.